Hey, New City, this is Nate Claiborne, and I am actually flying solo today. Uh, Starting this week, we're going to do just little short episodes that give you a a recap of what you might have missed at Romans Bible Study the previous Sunday, and then a short preview of some of the things that we might talk about this upcoming Sunday. So if you didn't already, I would really recommend listening to the conversation that I recorded with our theologian in residence, Michael Allen. Uh, we did a overview of Romans 1, 18 through 32, kind of talked through it section by section. Uh, Mike gave us some historical and theological perspective. Um, And so that gives, we didn't necessarily cover that exact same ground in the Bible study on Sunday morning, uh, but it's very complimentary to the things we talked about Sunday morning. Also, I would really recommend if you haven't already, if you missed Sunday completely, uh, please go listen to Ben's sermon. Uh, It was excellent. And he actually, this is how you can tell maybe the Holy Spirit's at work. uh, We ended up covering very similar points in Uh, the Bible study and in the sermon, but Ben and I did not thoroughly compare notes ahead of time. Uh, He kind of knew some of the general things I was going to bring up. I knew the outline of his sermon, but we ended up making some um, additional points. So one of those in particular was in Romans 1, especially in 18 through 32, there's some connections to Genesis 1. Um, You see that kind of clearly, I I say kind of clearly, but it's one of those things that you might not notice on a first read through, but then when you do notice, it kind of sticks out at you. But in verse 23, Mike and I talked about this as well. You see, um, instead of humans worshiping God, they have exchanged the glory of God for images resembling man, birds, animals, and creeping things. And that progression there, it's, it's almost a decreation. We're moving backwards through the creation account to some degree. We're also moving from heaven to earth. So if man is sort of this um, apex of the creation crowned with the glory and image of being made in God's image, um, we're moving then through the birds who inhabit the heavens and through the animals that inhabit the land and then the things that creep along on the land. And so there's this sense of instead of ruling over creation as we were given dominion and told to be fruitful and multiply, humans have instead worshipped the creation, thus putting themselves in a subservient position. So that kind of helps us see, too, why um, Paul highlights what he highlights in the next several verses, is it's not that it is necessarily an apex um, of human sinfulness so much as it's an illustration of Uh, the refusal to be fruitful and multiply, which was also a Genesis 1 command. And so Paul is able to draw on this imagery from Genesis 1 without citing it directly and without necessarily mentioning it um, explicitly. And so that kind of, that came up in our Bible study and then Ben drew on that point in his sermon. Um, And a couple of the other things that we came, we talked about in detail in the Bible study, I'll just cover these real quick before we preview this upcoming week, um, is who Paul is addressing or who he's talking about in this section. And he's really being very universal in one sense. He, he doesn't narrow his focus. Uh, but the things that he brings up, idolatry and homosexual practice, those were, from a Jewish point of view, kind of the quintessential sins. And so we talked about that as something that the average Jewish person in the first century would agree with is a sign of God's wrath, is a sign of human sinfulness. And so Paul goes really uh, in detail here. But then he follows it up with this vice list at the end that really covers all sorts of attitudes and actions. And so we would be 
missing the text to some degree if we don't see ourselves in somewhere in that list, which was another point that Ben connected to in his sermon. And so that's that was something that we spent a little bit of time on. And then we we went back to the beginning and we sort of ended by looking at how do things actually get off track here in Romans 1. And as we see in Romans 1, 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And so it it's showing it's a failure of worship and it's a failure of gratitude. And so we ended by talking about gratitude, this idea of giving thanks, um, and the idea that uh, embedded in the word, if we, we do a little bit of Greek in Romans Bible study, I'm not teaching you the alphabet or grammar or anything like that, but Romans is a great example of a book where knowing a few key words can be really helpful. And so this idea of giving thanks, the word there is... It, it's a similar word to the Greek word for grace, and you'd have to see it to, to make the most sense of it. But there's this idea that those who have received grace respond in gratitude, and there's a connection both in the receiving and the response. So that was where we landed last week in Bible study, and then we went in and heard Ben's sermon. And so this week, what I'd like to do, I'm going to read through our text for this week, and then I'm just going to throw some questions out there, some things that I've been thinking about, some things that I've been uh, doing a little study on, and these are the things that we will probably talk about on Sunday morning, and I just wanted to give you the opportunity to be thinking ahead. So I know 8.30 for some people is pretty early. Um, I get up pretty early to get energized in time to be ready to go at 8.30, but I realize not everyone's doing that. So hopefully this is a helpful way to prepare you for uh, what we would be doing on Sunday morning. And if you haven't haven't attended already, now you have a good feel for what we talked about last week and what we're going to be talking about this coming Sunday. So let me read through our text and then I'll ask a couple questions. So this week we're going to be doing Romans 2, 1 through 16, starting in verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day or on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. 
they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So one of the first questions I've got that we will probably spend a good amount of time on on Sunday is, who is Paul talking to? So at the end of chapter one, he's been almost continuing his introduction. And granted, he is talking to the Romans. He's writing them a letter. Um, But then there's a clear shift at the beginning of chapter two, where it seems like he's addressing someone directly. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Um, So it's important to ask, who is Paul talking to? Has he shifted his who he's speaking to in his audience? Is he still talking to all the same people? Um, Is the you singular or plural? He says, therefore, you have no excuse. Is that a singular you or is it a plural you? And then does he change who he's talking to as he continues along or does he continue to address this person? Is it a real person? Is it a hypothetical person? Is it the same person he's been addressing? So we're going to spend some time talking about that. The other thing that it it stuck out to me, even just reading through it right now, is how many times it says some version of judge, judgment. Um, Those are key words that show up. And then we also get in the last section, the law shows up, which is a very important both word and concept in Paul's writing. So we're going to have to spend some time talking about what does the law mean? And does it mean the same thing every time? Or does it mean some things in one verse and something else in a different? So we'll talk about what is judging, what is the law? Um, And then we're going to need to talk about what it means to say that God shows no partiality or God is impartial. Um, It's clear maybe to some extent that it's saying he's going to judge the Jew first and also the Greek alike. Um, And it also talks about uh, Jew and Gentile. And if if you were with us for the very first week of Romans Bible study, we talked about the difference of those terms. Uh, But I'll ask it here as a question now. What is the difference between the Jew, the Greek, and the Gentile? Are those overlapping terms? I know Jew and Greek are different and uh, Jew and Gentile are different, but do Greek and Gentile overlap and in what way? And what does it mean to say God doesn't show partiality in the way that he deals for those groups of people? Um, A side question to that that we'll need to talk about is what does it mean in verse six and seven when it says he's going to render to each one to his works? And then it says those who in patience seek for glory and honor and immortality and doing so by doing good works, he will give eternal life. Does that contradict what we maybe already know is going to come later in this letter where Paul says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, and this implication that we are justified by faith, not by works, whereas here he seems to say um, God's impartial, and if you do good works, he'll give you eternal life. If you don't do good works, he'll give you wrath and fury. So we're going to need to wrestle with this a little bit on Sunday morning. So I realize it's early, but in Romans is not necessarily the easiest book to make sense of. We're doing some heavy lifting here. Um, But I hope that you will read through the text for yourself, think about some of these questions, and join us on Sunday morning at 8.30 in room 205. Um, We'll have coffee, we'll have bagels, we'll be ready to go shortly after 8.30, and we hope to see you there. 
Thank you.